This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Lamigo. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Keisha Williams about serverless for salary transparency. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 114. I'm Rebecca Marshburn. And I'm Jeremy Daly. And you're listening to Serverless Chats. Hey, Rebecca, how are you doing? And I'm going to stop you before you start telling me about your weekend, because I know I'm always asking you how you're doing on your weekend. But I actually was curious if you had uh, binged any shows lately or watched any interesting movies. Uh, That's a great question. I have not really binged any shows. I'm much more of a lay on the couch and stare at the wall and listen to the same record over and over and over. Um, it was actually something that really made my roommates in college mad. They'd be like, please just switch well, the side better. of the record. <laughs> it's probably better for your mental health. <laughs> um, but do you have anything that you recommend I should binge? Should I be in the market? Well, I, I am, a, as you know, I am a soccer coach because I have uh, two teenage daughters that play soccer. So uh, the show that I've been watching lately has been Ted Lasso um, on Apple Plus, which is an absolutely amazing show. And it's more than just about soccer. It's like feel good, but also kind of delves into like, um, you know, like uh, uh, mental health and some of these other things. So anyways, really interesting show and super funny. Jason Sudeikis is hilarious in it. So anyways, that's uh, that that's something that I that I would recommend. All right. All right. Well, I'm wondering if uh, the guest I'm about to introduce, who is a superhuman mother of three, I'm wondering if she has any similar um, experiences in terms of, you know, sporting events and then how that sort of informs the types of shows that she likes to watch. But first, before we get to that question, I will introduce her. Our guest this week is an award-winning software engineer, an AWS machine learning hero, a principal training architect for AWS at A Cloud Guru, which is now a plural site company. Super exciting to see that transformation and the creator of Salary Overflow, Keisha Williams. Hey, Keisha, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Rebecca and Jeremy. I'm super happy to be here. Hey. Now, as a as a as a mother of three, do you have any time to watch TV? Well, my kids are they're getting older now, so I do actually have time. But I remember those days, Jeremy, when all three of them played soccer, and my Saturdays were crazy. <laughs> yeah, what's a Saturday, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. From one soccer game to the next soccer game on this side of town to the next side of town. It was fun. I, I I do miss those days. Yeah, I, I am trying to enjoy it because I know that soon it's going to be, you know, they're going to be off somewhere else and I'm going to have nothing to do on Saturday. So uh, right. I am enjoying it while, while, it, while it lasts. That's good. So to kick this off and to kick it off all the way back to the idea of childhood and remembering those days, Keisha, when talking about your own childhood, you said in one hand you had a Barbie doll and the other hand you had a computer. And it seems like that led to an amazing journey in tech. Um, You've had 26 years in tech and you've worked for the NSA and then you eventually moved to cloud. Can you give us a little bit of your background for context for our listeners? Sure. So I've been in IT for 26 years. I honestly do not know where all of the time went because it's just been such a fun and exciting journey. And I really built the bulk of my career in the Java software engineering space. So 
this will date me, but I remember when Java came out. Because at the time I was doing C++ and I heard about this new language and I researched it. And when I learned about it, I thought this language is going to take over the world. I don't want to do C++ anymore. And so I actually left the organization where I was working at and I moved to Delta Airlines so that I could learn Java on the job. And I did that for a very, very long time. And throughout that time of doing Java web development, I held several titles, like web developer, software engineer, technical lead, and then I eventually moved into a leadership position managing a team of, of engineers. And I would say about seven or eight years ago, I started to lose track of the time. Maybe seven or eight years ago, I was introduced to the cloud. And I really felt about the cloud, how I felt about Java way back then. I'm like, okay, this is going to revolutionize how we deliver systems. And so I fell in love really with AWS. And then maybe three years ago, I started playing around with machine learning on AWS. And yeah, the, the rest is history. <laughs> Well, I think with the pandemic, we can add or subtract a year uh, because we always, you know, sort of forget 2020 even exists or hope. Hopefully we can forget 2020 existed for some things anyways. But so you had obviously a very long, uh, very long career in tech. You've done a bunch of different things, like you said, moving from C++ to Java, then getting into the cloud. And there's just this whole array of, of different roles that you've held, whether they're in management positions or just, you know, just being a, an engineer at some of these right. places. And I'm really curious because the, the everyone's journey in tech is different. And I, we hear a lot of people who like, you know, as you said, you started with a computer in one hand and Barbara doll in the other. So you were into tech very young. A lot of people changed later on in their careers. Um, but one of the things that I think we know about tech, and this is just unfortunately one of these horrible labels that tech gets, is just that the, the diversity in tech is terrible, right? right? I mean, and, and that... We've got salary uh, discrepancies. We get people treated differently. I, there's, you know, people you know start at a company and then have a horrible right. experience, um, you know, because they're they're not a programmer, right? <laughs> like they have those experiences. Right. So you created this thing called salaryoverflow.com, and I'm really curious, like, just what were those experiences that you had that led, you know, led you to creating this, and sort of what was the what was the need for it? Well, in tech, we always hear about this gender pay gap and. Being an African American woman working in tech, I, you know, firsthand have experienced that. So my very first experience with it was when I actually graduated from college and I was working my first job. And I remember, I believe it was like the first week, all of the new hires, we were sitting around the lunchroom table, just chit-chatting. And then somehow the topic about salary, starting salaries came up. And as everyone went around the table discussing their starting salary, I realized that I was making like $20,000 less um, than everyone else. And so I was the only woman and the only uh, person of color. And so for me, that was very eye-opening. And then as I just moved throughout my career and just throughout my journey, I would always notice that like my colleagues, they were able to take all of these expensive, lavish vacations. And for me, I was a single mom with a mother of three, but I was debt-free. And so I managed my money very well. And I was never able to like fly my kids off to Hawaii, <laughs> you, you know? And so that just made me think to myself, okay, 
they must make a lot more money than I do if they can afford those expensive vacations. And so because of my firsthand experiences, I wanted to do something to bring more transparency to salaries in tech um, to hopefully just reduce reduce that gender pay gap. And that's why I created sal. Well, that's one of the reasons why I created salary overflow. I also just love working on side projects to keep my skills current. And so I wanted to play around with Amplify and some of the services on AWS that I had never used before. So I think salary overflow was a a (laughs) win-win. Okay, so there are so many um, like underlying foundational themes that I am really eager to address there. But before we get too far into that, let's like talk a bit about um, you went from Java and then you found, or you're in, like you write, you prefer Java, but then you found the AWS cloud, right? And you're like, this is going to transform the way we work. And then within the last seven to eight years, that also has, you have become a machine learning hero and an Alexa champion. And um, you've become like a voice, not only for um, teaching others how to use these successfully, um, but also as an advocate to say like, hey, this is uh, like as a African-American woman of color, um, there, there's not enough diversity. Like there should be more than just like me as the face of this. Before we go, before we go too far into some of those other uh, meteor topics, I'd love to dive into. Um, we kind of know why you started in Java. What prompted you to start with cloud? Like what what made you think that that cloud was the the future? Well, for me, as I've always considered myself a software engineer, you know, developing and building um, and bringing ideas to life, when I was introduced to AWS, I realized that I didn't need a team to build or bring these ideas to life. I could use AWS to quickly, like literally in a matter of <laughs> weeks, build an application that normally it would take a team of five developers to build over several months. So that's uh, that's really what got me excited about the cloud. Just for me, my ability to quickly innovate and deploy solutions to production, it's just, it's, it's amazing. That's why I love AWS. So the, again, the idea of AWS being this vehicle for, you know, small teams or single developers to be able to build these massive things um, is sort of, I think, interesting to the way that AWS has brought uh, machine learning to the forefront with all the SageMaker tools and all the different things. So, I mean, maybe you can expand a little bit on that because I know you've only been doing machine learning for maybe, what, three or four years, which is three or four more years than I've been really (laughs) doing it. So, um, you know, I I basically use the APIs. That's that's where I, uh, that's about the extent that I go with machine learning. But like, what was it about the openness or the availability of tools or so forth that even let you get into machine learning? Because I'm thinking, you know, normally you'd be running massive EC2 instances and things like that. Like, just what are are some of those things that made it easy for you to kind of explore machine learning. Right. And I and I always tell people if it weren't for AWS, I would have never gotten into machine learning. Um, so when I initially started learning, wanting to learn about machine learning, again, I always find excitement in these technologies. So first it was Java, then it was cloud, and then machine learning. And again, I just feel like machine learning is this disruptive technology that is just going to continue to impact our lives on an 
daily basis. And so I wanted to learn more about it. And when I first started my journey, of course, I went to AWS and there was a service called AWS Machine Learning. (laughs) Nice name. (laughs) And that service is no longer available to new developers. But for me at the time, I was just starting to explore machine learning and it really abstracted away a lot of the the deep technical details. And it just gave me an easy way to get started. And it made this the topic very approachable. So I wasn't afraid because before I always felt like you had to be a research scientist working in a lab somewhere in order to even understand and use machine learning. But with that AWS machine learning service, it was a great introduction. And there, once I became comfortable, like I understood the machine learning lifecycle, I understood just all of the machine learning concepts. Then I started to explore and dig deeper, and that's when I started learning um, using SageMaker. And then SageMaker just allowed me to continue to peel back those layers and go deeper and deeper and deeper until I was actually ready to start writing my own custom training code. And so I think for me, that was the great benefit of AWS. I was able to start at this very high level and just start peeling back the layers to get really deep and really technical. And it was something that I could do on my own time. Um, And it just it just made it very easy. Like I said, if it weren't for AWS, I would not be a machine learning hero. I would not um, have worked with machine learning. And you don't you don't need to be uh, like a, a rocket scientist, right? You don't need to be like a math. You don't need a PhD in math to do some of this stuff. Right. I remember very early on trying to play around with TensorFlow or what, and I was just like, I'm like, all right, eighth grade algebra, I can help my kid with her homework, but <laughs> once I get past that, I really got to start thinking about it. Yeah, and I will say I did have to learn Python, and to this day, thing. I still want to put a semicolon on the end of all of my Python lines of code, and I still don't get this indentation. Like, why? Oh, yeah, no, it's like YAML, right? (laughs) Indentation is important. So I was was talking to Jeremy uh, before, um, obviously before we're interviewing you right now, and I was like, oh, man, I got so into watching Keisha's videos and so much of her content that I almost forgot to like come back and form questions because I just was so, I was like getting sucked into all of them. Uh, I, I love doing research on guests, but yours were particularly um, compelling. And one of the talks that I that I really liked is um, the one you gave in 2019 at reInvent, Future Proof Your Career, Java Developer to Machine Learning Practitioner. Mm-hmm. And in it, you really lay out the levels of adoption, which it sounds like you sort of just walked us through your own path. But the levels quickly that you lay out are level one. You're using recognition and poly and Lex, and you're using ML models created by others. And then level two, you know, you make your own models, which was like AWS machine learning. And now it's it's basically been um, crafted into SageMaker. Right. And then there's level three where you use toolkits and interfaces and frameworks to write your own learning algorithms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about a little bit more perhaps about the leaps that maybe you needed to make personally or that you see others need to make in order to to sort of up level. Right. So if you're trying to like start with machine learning, definitely learn the concepts. So like the very high level concepts, like what is a model? When someone says they need to train a model, what does that mean? And so once you learn like the machine learning, I call it the machine learning lifecycle, then you're able to actually 
implement that life cycle using tools. And so that's how I always uh, tell people to get, to get started. First, start with just the very high level concepts. And then once you once you're good with those concepts, just continue to peel back the layers and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And like I said, all of the tools and services allow you on AWS, allow you to be as high level or as deep detailed as you want to be. This is a question that I think relates maybe back to salary overflow, but this idea of like what it means to be, um, what it means to be a minority in, in tech. Um, and something with machine learning, right, that we hear so often, or like science and technology studies more broadly is if you put bad information in, you're going to get bad information out. And so there's this, like, how do you create when you're at that level three and you're using, like, you're writing your own machine learning algorithms, um, how do you create algorithms that have as little bias, ideal state, no bias as possible? And I'm, I'm wondering, as being both a woman and a minority, an African-American woman in tech, if you approach writing your algorithms perhaps differently than you've seen others approach it, or if you've found different ways that your algorithms maybe come out a little differently because of your pre previous experience, because of your life experience. Right. So that's something to me that's very important when we talk about the bias in machine learning. So I can tell you about the very first uh, machine learning model that I developed. It was used to, to predict crime. And the data that I've found that was freely available was UK crime data. And one of the data points in that was race. And so when I was building my machine learning model to predict crime, because I'm an African-American, I personally decided to take race out of the equation. Now, someone else may not have considered doing that if they, you know, if they've had a different experience. And so I think whenever we're building machine learning models, um, really need to have a diverse team so that certain things are considered upfront when we look at the data, when we test the model, mm. um, because we've heard and seen several horror stories about computer vision, mm -hmm. um, anything related to machine learning having a bias. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very important, especially how we utilize machine learning today in our lives. It's very important to build um, models and solutions without bias. Yeah. Do you see anyone doing it well today or do you see perhaps companies or individuals who are, you know, teachers and educators around building algorithms that are like setting up much better guardrails or like criteria to be like, hey, this is actually going to get you an algorithm that's going to return something that has a ton of bias in it. Like, are there any great resources that you would recommend in terms of building better unbiased algorithms? Well, I can tell you, I jumped for joy, like literally jumped for joy when SageMaker Clarify was uh, released at reInvent last year. And I was just mm -hmm. like, yes, this is a great first step to make sure the models that we're building are bias-free. And so I was just really happy to see AWS make make that a service, part of SageMaker, and just making it available. And just just even recognizing that it's an issue and it's something that that we need to address. So I would say definitely if you're building machine learning solutions on AWS, incorporate SageMaker Clarify into your solution. 
Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so there's clearly bias. We know this in, in machine learning. I mean, a lot of these, uh, and you mentioned the the, uh, the visualization stuff. Uh, you know, not being able to detect different skin type or skin colors um, with uh, with facial recognition and things like that. Um, and again, part part of it is because the 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 test sets, right? Like, who's actually right. building it? Who's testing it? All of that bias comes right. through. And I don't think all of it's intentional. I think some of it, no. you know, it, it it just happens because. People right. don't think about it the way that somebody with different experiences might think about it. Right. Um, and I want to take that. Uh, I want to, you know, kind of pull the thread a little bit on the uh, on the idea of bias. And and you mentioned this early on. This idea of you making twenty thousand dollars less than everybody else sitting at that table. Um, you know, those bias those biases come in um, again, whether whether they're intentional or non intentional, whatever. The point is, is it exists, right? So regardless right. of how it happens, it's there. Um, it, it's systematic, and it's in. It's just in the system now, where no matter what you do, you're going to see those biases come through when it comes to salary data. Um, so let's dive more into salary overflow a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you kind of mentioned the reasons why you wanted to build it, but let's actually talk about what it actually is and what it actually does. Sure, so salary overflow is a web application. Right now, it's in the initial, I call it the data collection phase, where you're able to go in and enter your salary information and then search to see uh, the additional salaries within the system. And so it's broken down by location, job title, and the, the salary uh, amount being paid. And so that's the, the first phase. I call it the data collection phase. And honestly, I put it out there just to see. It was more of the, the, the MVP and the response that I received was very overwhelming. And so it made me realize that, yes, this is something that's very important. Right. And I even had a company reach out to try to buy the IP, but I decided to hold on to it because I have just so many just amazing and just exciting plans for the next phase of the application. Definitely, I want to incorporate machine learning to make us salary predictions. I want to incorporate a salary like negotiation piece to help mm. people better negotiate salaries. I want to have reports. So, I mean, I imagine there's a woman out there. She has this job offer in hand and she really wants to know if she's being paid fairly. She can go into salary overflow, print a report for that same job title, same location, same years of experience and say, hey, look, you are paying me $10,000 under the market mm -hmm. and it would help her negotiate her salary. So I just have a lot of, I just get really excited when I think about the future of, right, of the salary overflow and how it can help people. Well, it'd be interesting to have a feedback, uh, like a feedback loop in there as well to say, like, if somebody did get a job offer that was below uh, market rate or whatever, to report that back into the system that you got an offer from this uh, specific company or whatever, and you could kind of do some of that as well. And, and, yes, uh, and you could maybe even really rate cool. companies on their transparency levels. I need to get a notepad. I like that. I like that idea too. <laughs> yeah, well, write it yeah. down. Write it down. Um, so <laughs> I, I, so I, I, there's a lot. I mean, the, the your uh, your reason for doing this clearly is uh, is you know is 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 amazing, and 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 this is this really really needs to be done. But we're a serverless podcast, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the architecture that you're using, um, mm -hmm. because you built this using all serverless stuff, right? Yes, and I really relied on AWS Amplify. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to experiment with this full stack 
development, web application development tool um, that came out. And so with AWS Amplify, you're able to really speed up the delivery of a web application. And so the front end of the application currently is served up through S3 and CloudFront. And then the user authentication, I use um, Cognito. And then between the, the database and the front end, I'm using AppSync. That was my very first time using AppSync and GraphQL. I'm usually a REST person. <laughs> and um, I found GraphQL to be very flexible. And then on the back end, I'm using Aurora ser- Serverless. Mm. And so there's also a Lambda function in there as well. Whenever there's a new user that signs up, I use a Lambda function to create a record in that database. Um, but yeah, just just the overall experience and flow. And also, this is my first time using React. Mm. So I, I use React on the front end. I'm typically an Angular person. So it was oh, just a, a we great... Won't hold that ag- we won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a great overall experience. And I was able to learn a lot of you know, new tools and, and technology. So, yeah. So I'm wondering with that, have any of those services catapulted into being your favorite AWS services? Or is there anything where you're like, hey... I'm actually not going to build an app without Amplify again because it is this full stack experience and it enabled me to like learn these things, interact with these services, not have to know too much. Or I shouldn't say know too much, but you can start from the starting point. Right. So I really love Amplify. Like I'm a huge Amplify fan. And there's even a component in there that there's the like automatic CI CD. So mm-hmm. if you like hook it into your version control system as you merge changes to let's say, so I have like a dev test and prod brands as, as I merge changes, like it automatically deploys my code to production. And so that was really built in to amplify. And so it just gives you this whole experience for developing and deploying applications I call the right way. And so I am definitely an AWS Amplify fan, a huge fan. I know some teammates on the Amplify team and they're like, yes, I love it. Yes, I love it. Speak it. We team just, we just had a conversation Ali. with uh, Ali Spittle, who's on the, uh, oh, really? uh, she's the developer advocate for, uh, the lead developer advocate for for that team. And um, yeah, we awesome. just had a good, we just had a great episode uh, with her as well. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Lumigo. We've talked a lot about observability on this podcast, and if you've listened to any of those episodes, then you know that it can be difficult to achieve serverless observability with traditional approaches. Though serverless comes with many opportunities and advantages, it also has some unique issues that some tools just aren't able to address. And those issues really need something meant for serverless environments. That's where Lumigo comes in. As a serverless-first monitoring platform, Lumigo lets developers quickly and easily find and fix errors and performance issues while also giving you an end-to-end view of the entire transaction across services and functions. All of the debugging information you need is conveniently in one place, and you're able to set up alerts so that you know what's happening and how it might affect the user experience. Lumigo also knows how to play nice with your existing toolchain, enabling you to send alerts to email, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Ops Genie, and more, and can also create tickets in JIRA straight from the issues page. Thanks to their automatic distributed tracing, it only takes four clicks to set up Lumigo with no manual code changes necessary. Sign up for free at Lumigo.io.
So you mentioned speed a number of times, like just get you where you're going fast. Uh, right. Clearly launching EC2 instances or even setting up containers and doing some of the other things. Just how much productivity did, do you think you gained from using a serverless approach? And clearly Amplify is like, serverless approach you know on steroids um but like what like w like what type of productivity gains do you think there are here for developers that are um you know th that are traditional ec2 vm people or container people moving to something uh, more serverless well i can tell you with the salary overflow application the mvp i was able to have that finished in a matter of weeks like literally a matter of weeks it was oh. in production not even two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why, you know, I, I quickly did it. I put it out there to see if, if anyone would find it valuable. And now, you know, when I look at the UI, so I told you, like, this is my very first time using right. React. And so it's a very basic UI. And now I'm like, okay, I can really, you know, take this to the next level <laughs> because people actually like it. Yeah. yeah, and for those who haven't uh, experienced Salary Overflow, I mean, it is, even if it's a basic UI, you, you go in and you have to create your user first before you see some of this data, and you get an SMS message, right, with a mm -hmm. passcode, and then you enter the passcode, and then it returns you to the um, the sign-in, you know, and then you have now you have your username created and, and your password, and then you get in and you get to start seeing this data, but... Um, while it may seem, you know, basic to, to someone who's a programmer, I think for a lot of people, you're like, that's actually a, a considerable amount of work to make that flow happen so that's seamlessly. True. That is true. Um, and to like onboard someone onto some sort of product. And so I do think that you probably are not even giving yourself enough credit in terms of being able to set that up in a matter of weeks. And that's only the onboarding flow, right? right. Before you even get into the data and the reports and um, ingesting all this data and all of that. So I highly recommend people to check it out. Yeah, and, all, um, and also I just say too, I have built a lot of React or Vue apps as well, and I am not a designer so they always look clunky and basic <laughs> and whatever and it always it always irks me a little bit when that designer lays this nice little skin over and you're like how did you make it look so good like oh, you know yeah, so know <laughs> if you're not a designer like feeling. me uh anything that looks basic there's a lot happening back there I, you know i can right. i can attest to that um but uh but yeah it doesn't always look as great as we want it to but um you know props to designers who can who can do that and, uh, and make things look so beautiful definitely yeah, and I wanted to dive in a little bit more. I know that um, Amplify, as like you know, full stack, also has databases that it's going to already use, and it's using you know Aurora. And I was wondering though, when we go back to machine learning in general, and the amount of data that you have to ingest, and then it's not only that, right? It's like ingesting it, and then you have to clean it, and format it, transform it. You have to check it. I'm wondering if outside of Amplify and, and what would be like coming in that full stack experience, if there are databases that you love to use for machine learning data in general and, and what you see in terms of um, pros, cons, benefits, advantages, disadvantages to different databases for performing all of that on your data. So specifically for machine learning, I use S3. <laughs> so I don't really use an official nice. like database. So S3, when you think about SageMaker, um, SageMaker just integrates really natively with, with S3. And so that's how I store for machine learning. That's how I store all of my, my data. I love that. The classic. 
And S3, by the way, it, it's kind of its own database. I mean, you, people don't think of it as a database, <laughs> yeah. but it's like a it's like a key value store that can True. just store massive amounts of data. And also with like S3 Select and some of those other things, like you can actually run <laughs> queries on it. So, um, right. so it's not as good as a database as Amazon Route 53 is, but I mean, you know, it's still, uh, <laughs> you know, as Corey, Corey Quinn would say. Um, so... Uh, let's talk about entrepreneurship a little bit because you mentioned you had an offer to to buy um, salary overflow and uh, I'm just curious in terms of like for other people that are building and you mentioned you know the speed is there and and you don't need a bunch of people to build this it can be a single person that can that can actually get something up and running really fast but for those people who are looking to to do this, because this, I, I just, the cloud enables so much. It's amazing what the cloud enables you to do now, um, especially for the small teams, like you said, especially for the the kid who wants to get on the free tier and sitting in their dorm room somewhere, and she can you know build a whole app or whatever, um, right. and it costs ten dollars maybe to run it. Um, so just in terms of people who are looking, or some advice maybe, some thoughts, some recommendations, some learnings, whatever that as you've gone through this process, what what would you want to say to people who are, are thinking about you know starting on on AWS and, and building a, uh, a startup idea I would say definitely start with just understanding all of the services out there and what's available to you um, you don't have to go deep deep but just at a high level know what's available and so I always direct people to start with like the certified cloud practitioner like that level of knowledge um, especially as an entrepreneur, I would recommend that you not always rely on like a technical person to just come in and work their magic mm-hmm. and then just leave you with everything. Just really try to understand just the basics of, of the technology, um, what's available, and then go from there. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend with just understanding the basics of AWS and then you can start to architect your system and work with solutions architects to help you kind of architect your system. And, you know, when they talk all of their tech jargon, you'll understand what they're talking about and they'll think you're really smart. <laughs> and there's and there's probably a few courses they can take over at a cloud guru oh, um, yes, that would help definitely. you out with that. Definitely. You can take my certified solutions. Uh, no, my my CCP course, you can take that course. And it's a great, fun introduction to uh, AWS. When I first started working at AWS, um, or I'm no longer there now, but I was there for about four years. And so I guess I started in 2016. And I still have my book when I took a Cloud Guru's like introduction to AWS or like the 12 to 15 hour course. And then I have, then I was looking at the Lambda and Serverless and some of the other like specific courses. Nice. But I still have my notebook that has like this, this many, well, I guess listeners can't see I'm holding my hands really far away from each other. It's a really thick book of notes. Um, and I did find it so helpful to even introduce me to the vocabulary that I didn't right. know I didn't know right. to start having those conversations. Right. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it is, it is <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, um, Keisha, I really admire what you're doing with salary overflow. And when I opened my email this morning, I thought it was, uh, very apropos that, um, this person, Lenny Rachitsky, who has Lenny's newsletter, um, and it's a newsletter that basically offers advice to people in the tech world and the PM world. Anyway, 
his edition today um, featured Naya Dragova. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but it's a co-founder of Candor. Um, and the whole theme around the newsletter was the Ten Commandments of Salary Negotiation. Oh, you have to forward that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll absolutely forward it to you. And it's pretty cool. It has like, you know, 10 steps around like, hey, this is what you're going to experience across all these love across all these moments. And like negotiation actually starts earlier than you think. And here's what the recruiter is going to ask you around, let's say, before they start conversations with it with a team, right? They say, or, or before they start interviews, the recruiter might say, okay, what are you looking for as a number? And then um, Naya recommends like, hey, you don't give a number. You say, I'd love to meet the team. I would love to know what your salary band is. Right. So it's more about like how to diplomatically, but advocate for yourself even early in the process right. before you try to start advocating for yourself what is actually like step eight out of 10. Right. Um, so I'll definitely forward that to you. And uh, it's it's I found it just so lovely that I opened that this morning when we we're going to be having this salary overflow talk um, today with you. And I'm wondering if there are moments or places where you yourself go for learning and educational resources around like salary best practices, negotiation best practices um, or other ways that you you look for things to influence or shape the way that you build your own app um, or anything you could recommend to folks around like, uh, where should I go to learn more about how to advocate for myself when it comes to compensation? Well, for me, it's really built off of, I guess, my 26 years of experience in tech and interviewing and just being in the industry for so long. But I always recommend to people, and I still do this now, even, even if you're not looking for a job, but you know, like maybe in five years, I'd like to be a senior software engineer. I often just look at the current job um, openings out there, the job postings to see um, what the salary range is. Not every single job will tell you what the range is, but a lot of them do. So I think it's very important for you to kind of know your industry and know what the different job titles pay. And job postings is, is a great way to do that. And of course, salary overflow. <laughs> It's a it's an interesting approach that I love. It's it's working. It's essentially working backwards, right, from where you think you might want to go, and then understanding all of the goalposts or milestones along the way, rather than learning them once you get there. Right. That's that's a really great idea. Yeah. And I'm I'm a little bit curious too how and maybe this is some data that you've been collecting as well, but how geography um, sort of plays into salary as well. I mean, it used to be very much so. Like if you lived in Boston and you worked in Boston or you lived in San Francisco and you worked in San Francisco, you know, you'd have much higher salaries than if you worked in, you know, some suburb of Columbus or something like that. Um, right. you know, and and I'm curious if especially with the world shifting to so much remote, um, you know, you're now able to hire uh somebody from Oklahoma, who is a brilliant programmer, and uh, you know, he or she um, you know, it, it has a much lower cost of of uh, of living, but how does that affect salaries? And are you seeing any companies and, and maybe this is just, you know, I don't know if you've got this data, if you've dug into it yet, but like, is that something, um, one, have you seen companies paying, you know, equitable wages across geographies or do you think they should? I definitely think you should be paid based on the work that you're doing. Um, 
And so I, I remember when we, when the, like when this pandemic started and everybody was working from home and then some people took that as an opportunity, let's say they lived in San Francisco and now they, they wanted to move to Florida and some company saying, oh, you're moving to Florida. Well, guess what? You're going to get paid less. Mm. I don't think that's, that's the right approach. Now, I do believe that I'm going to start seeing a change in the salary data that's um, being entered into salary overflow because a lot of people are starting to, you know, work from home now because of the pandemic. Right now, the data is still showing, I guess I call it the old way, the pre-pandemic um, yeah. world, where if you work in California, you're paid more than, let's say, you work in Florida, I don't know why I keep going to Florida. <laughs> I live in Georgia. <laughs> Maybe I, I want to visit Florida. But I do think we're going to start seeing this shift in the salary data. But I want to see it shift to where you're paid for the job that you're doing. Right. Yeah, people should be paid what they're worth, right? That's that's always one of those things where it always bothered me when it's like, especially overseas, when you have people say like, oh, well, we can get these programmers for you know $12 an hour or something like that. I was always like... It doesn't seem like that's the approach that you want to take um, when when you're hiring people. Yeah, I'm cu I'm curious too with with your work on salary overflow. You said that someone right wanted to buy your IP. I I can only imagine that while that's one instance, I'm sure a lot of companies, or I guess I hope a lot of companies, are at least contacting you um, to better understand their own practices perhaps or, or do you have people reaching out in terms of advice or consulting or or just taking a hard look at themselves um, or is that something that you want to do if that's not happening right now yeah that's definitely one of the future phases of salary overflow where corporations can see or visualize their own data mm. in the system and if they want to ask the question well how how well do we pay um, African-American women coders or how can we compare that to what we pay like male coders? So that is definitely a goal and a dream of mine for organizations to be able to, to visualize their own data and, and answer those questions using salary overflow. Oh, that's amazing. Um, well, Keisha, listen, this has been great. This is awesome stuff that you're working on. Uh, I hope all of these future enhancements, maybe not the ML stuff, but everything else will continue to use serverless. Um, oh, of course. But, <laughs> um, if, uh, if people want to get a hold of you on Twitter or anywhere else or learn more about the courses you teach uh, for a Cloud Guru, um, check out Stack Overflow, uh, check out Salary Overflow. Um, how do they do that? And before I answer that, the funny thing is that's how that's why I named salary overflow, um, because when you think about Stack Overflow, now when you switch that to salary overflow, it's the one place you go when you have questions ah, about your you salary. Go. Brilliant! So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant. I actually caught that. I was like, I, I think I think I know the nod she's making. It's a great nod. <laughs> yep, and you can you can find me on social media. On Twitter, it's Keisha, K-E-S-H-A, Wills, W-I-L-L-Z, or Z, if you're in the UK. <laughs> and LinkedIn, it's uh, always, bless at myself for making this my <laughs> LinkedIn, but it's 
Java rock star Keisha? <laughs> I think it's the perfect yes. title. I think it's perfect. That was a long time ago. <laughs> Stripper girl 87 over here. See, I would have I would have chosen a name like that and then showed my kids just as like a dad joke. I would have been like, yep. Yeah, and I feel like it's too late to change it now because that like link is everywhere. Everywhere, right. Everywhere. Keisha, that's going to be an NFT not too long from now. It's like the, the screenshot of the URL of Keisha's LinkedIn. Like that's that's excellent. You are just future-proofing your career again right now. Uh, and then uh, salary overflow is just salaryoverflow.com. Uh, yep. And then uh, Keisha.tech is your... Um, uh, is your other blog there and um, yes. we will put all, all of this stuff in the show notes too so listeners can go and find um, links to all the amazing things that you have done uh, thanks again for being here yeah thank my you pleasure. so much my pleasure it was a lot of fun And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Keisha Williams for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, Lumigo. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 114. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter at Becca Odelay and me at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.